My name is Jamie Saxon, and I am a high school Spanish teacher. Um, I came to uh, Maranatha Baptist University when my husband came to teach, and um, I wasn't sure what the Lord would want me to do when I got there, um, but I had small children, and um, I was poor, and so I knew that in order for me to make it, I would probably have to work a little bit, and so I just started praying, Lord, you know, what would you want me to do? And um, at that time, the, the high school had a Spanish teacher, and she moved up to the college level to teach. And um, if you had gone with me to class, at, I was, I'm a Bob Jones graduate, and I had to take Spanish because it was required. So, so you high schoolers, I want you to listen up, okay, because I'm going to give you some important things for you to know. So I get to... Maranatha, and they need a teacher on the high school level. And I said, well, that's good, but I got a C in Spanish in college. You do not want me to teach. And they said, we are desperate. Could you just help us out? And I'm like, Lord, I do not want to do that. The two hours a day, they said. I said, yeah, but it'll be two hours of terribleness because I'm not very good at it. I had taught, actually, at another school for a year, and that was all they needed was a Spanish teacher. I said, okay. I taught from my college textbook. It was a rough year. Those precious students, bless their hearts. But 12 years had gone in between. I'd had all my children and been at home with them. And so that next year, um, when I, the 12 years later, when I met Maranatha, I said, okay, if you, I'll try. And so I taught the first year, and the other teacher taught the second year, and I did her labs for her. And... That was 24 years ago. This is my 24th year, and I'm still teaching Spanish. I'm about to retire, but um, that's just where the Lord has put me. Um, And it's a joy to minister to high schoolers and to be with girls and to see them develop. But what I'm going to talk to you about today is something that has been a part of my life. I am not here because I'm a super Christian. I'm here because I struggle, and I think maybe all of us do. And so I'm hoping the things I'm going to share with you today are things that will actually be a help to you, pardon me, in your Christian life. I should have probably grabbed a water. Anyway, I want to start first by giving credit to the lady that's influenced me a lot. This happens to me at school, too. I always keep a water bottle on my desk at school. Um, This book is called Loving God with All Your Mind by Elizabeth George. And I got this book years and years ago, and it really started me as a young married woman on a good path because it helped me really apply some things that were in Scripture that I needed to learn. And so I recommend it highly to you. She has now done a fuller book, so it's longer. How many of you have ever heard of Elizabeth George and her books? Okay, she's been a wonderful influence on my life. I know that just recently her husband passed away, so I don't know her. I've never met her, but sometimes I just try to pray for her because I could only imagine her sorrow. But So I titled this, Think About Thinking. What do you think? And literally, what is going on in your mind? And when I was a young married woman, you know, I had grown up in a home with a mother who was a Christian, but she was a first-generation Christian, and so she didn't have everything all figured out. And mom had a hard time with different things, everything from fear to um, being extremely jealous of my dad. Um, So my mom and dad would fight a lot. 
when they were young Christians and they were learning. Um, Mom had a hard time because you know, she had come out of a home that where my um, grandfather was an alcoholic. There were a lot of things going on in her life. And so those some of those things got brought into our home. But she was a Christian, so she was trying to learn. And I think the things that she was thinking would come out when she would deal with us. So when I got married, I had a lot of stuff I was trying to figure out. And so a study like this on Philippians began to be a real important help to me. And so I, I'm just thankful for how the Lord brought this in my life. So we'll start by looking at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. So if you have your scripture, um, everything I have, in fact, i got to get this out because I have all my uh, scripture. I printed it out to make it a little quicker for us because this, this is a long presentation. I've done it a couple of times, but it gets a little lengthy, I think, every time I do it. <clears throat> So Philippians 4, 8, 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Oh, you are such a blessing. Thank you. Pardon me. I'm going to drink this right now because it's a lot easier to listen to somebody who's not scratchy. And the second verse says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And here's our goal. And the God of peace will be with you. So I'm looking for things that will give us peace. And Paul says, these things will help us. Beware of what you set your mind on. For that you will surely become. The foundation for godly living is godly thinking. So we're going to start. We're just going to take the passage apart. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about what everything means in the passage. And I just, I'm not going to click a whole bunch. I think it's a little easier when you're note taking. So the word we're going to start with is true. And that's the first one. And this one we'll spend the most time in because it seems that Paul put that there first for a reason. So true is our word. What's underneath it is the definition and the word in Greek. Aletheia is the word. Okay. And it means the following things. All right. It true means here whatever is real as opposed to what is fake. Whatever is true as opposed to whatever is false. Now you say, well, what's the difference? Well, sometimes fake can be fantasy. All right, as opposed to something that's false, maybe in a, uh, different ways, you know, doctrinally or other kinds of ways. So whatever is real as opposed to whatever is fake means we don't think about things that aren't actually happening. How many of you are in the what ifers club where you, you, you sit around and you think, well, but what if this happens? Well, what if? That happens. I live in the what ifers club a lot of times. The scripture here says I need to think about the things that are true. Whatever is real as opposed to whatever is fake. Whatever is true as opposed to whatever is false. You know, we have a good example, don't we? And a good example of a bad thing. In Genesis 12, 10 to 20. All right. Who are we talking about there? Abraham. What happens when he goes 
And he's got Sarah with him, and she must have been a very beautiful woman. He gets afraid, doesn't he? And he says, just don't tell them that you belong to me, right? Just you're my sister. What's Abraham doing? He's in the what-if camp. He's decided, okay, well, what if this happens? What if they take her from me? He stopped looking at the truth and trusting God. He's trying to take care of situations. And that's what happens to us in the What If Club. We're, we've created a scenario so we can now fix it. We, we, were under, we're, we got it. We're under control. And so Paul says, don't think that way. Think on the truth. Whatever is real. All right? When we don't do this, we end up with a lot of worry. And worry means literally to have a divided mind. We can create fear and terror in our lives because we didn't just focus on the truth. So I have, I'm in the next slide, and I'm going to do, these slides are going to be all the same in in the way they're done. All right, so these are the things we're going to look at to help us do this in our lives. So worry looks around, sees all the things, the circumstances. But faith looks up. Okay, Lord, I know you're there. And I can trust you. And so we can look up and say, I'm not going to keep myself in a state of looking around in all the circumstances. I'm going to focus on what is true. The scripture is going to be the greatest truth that we have. It's the truth that's going to guide us. We can always go back to the scripture. Worry concentrates on tomorrow. But faith says, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. God's going to take care of me over there. All right? That's the truth that I can concentrate on. He's, he's big enough. He'll meet my needs. Worry concentrates on the future. I don't know the future. But faith concentrates on what's happening right now. God's will for me right now. What do you want me to do right now, Lord? All right? First Samuel says, Only fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart. And consider what great things he has done for you. So if we can spend our time in the truth, it can change our lives and it can sure help us manage everything that we're going through during the day or the circumstances in our life. And I don't know where you are. I don't know. Some of you are experiencing things that are heavy, that are deep. And I've had those kind of trials in my life, too. And it, it, it's, it gets hard sometimes to keep yourself focused on the truth. You just are running around coming up with so many different things that you think are going to happen. And you just have to stop and say, okay, what is actually happening? What do I need to focus on in the midst of whatever is happening? And ask the Lord to let me focus on the truth. Now, sometimes truth is painful, right? Sometimes it happens that when we go to focus on things, there's heartbreak or there's sickness. Nobody is going to help you get through any of those things better than the word of God. That's the truth. So if I can just go back to it and get it in my mind and help myself by being looking at the scripture and letting it guide me, it, it will do the things it needs to do in my life. So truth is is the big one, and I think it's why Paul starts with it, because it's the one he wants us to concentrate on and take it through all of the other things that he admonishes us with.
So the next one is noble, and semna is the Greek word. The definition here is to inspire all majesty and seriousness or importance, and also it's sometimes translated honorable. I believe in a couple of the versions it's honorable. So what's the opposite of that? Being foolish. Yes. Being careless. Right. So what I mean by this is, and I think what you get from the word itself is, not just most of us are, well, I guess it depends how old you are, but we've kind of gone past the silliness. All right. So it's not necessarily that we're just telling jokes all the time. It's not that kind of thing. It's, the, it's, it's that we're not trivial about life. That we are careful about what we do and how we do it. So we think before we speak. Or we take time to make sure that we're acting in the proper way. Listen, I'm a high school teacher. And you know what? I have a lot of high schoolers who don't like homework. It's not fun for them. They don't want to do it. So I have to tell them. You know, you need to do this because if you do this, if you practice, it's going to help you get better. So homework's necessary. Now, I don't like a lot of it. I'm one of those teachers who thinks, okay, we can probably even do most of it in class. If you'll just take a few minutes and take the free time I'm giving you, let's do it now because I'll be right here to help you. But they have to determine to do it, right? They have to not put the emphasis on talking to Joe next to them. And, okay, I need to get this done, and I'm going to do it. Now, we all have that in our lives. There are lots of things that we could do. So we have to pick things. And are we picking things that are pleasing to the Lord, that are careful? And so let's ask the Lord, what's precious to you, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? You know, maybe it's that lady who's sick, and you've got a few minutes, and you say, well, all right, I got a few minutes. I don't have a lot here, Lord, but I could bake her a cake. Or maybe I'll just make a salad and take it over to her and say, hey, here's, here's a salad. Maybe you'll have to put the rest around it, but I can get you started. I got a, you know, a few minutes or, or this much at home. So I'm, I'm choosing to do that maybe rather than something else. How do you spend your time? When you spend your time doing things, you don't, I'm not saying that you're going to spend all of your time um, in somebody else's endeavor and never doing anything that helps you be a better person. Okay, you do have to be a better person and you do need to think about yourself. But we think about ourselves so that we can bless others, right? So it's not just us being self-centered. We want to be helpful for others. So do you need to take a nap? Yes, you do sometimes. Do you need to take medication possibly because you're not well? Yes, you do. So you need to take care of yourself. But that enables you then, therefore, to be a better friend, a better helper to other people. And so that's what we, we think about that because God says we're precious to him and we want to keep ourselves for him and to be able to serve him. So I spend my time thinking about ways in which I can do that. I used to be really into stamping, and I would make cards and that sort of thing. <clears throat> I can't do that anymore because I'm teaching now, so I'm, I don't have time. But I used to do that, and it was a lot of fun, but it was very easy for it to just become overwhelming and do it all the time instead of just doing it for a little bit. And uh, so it was something that I had to learn. I had to learn, okay, Lord, what's important to you? What, 
What do you want me to do? And so we can set goals, too, in things. So, um, you know, when we have personal habits, maybe we say, Lord, I'm just going to do this much of something. Um, One of the things that I have tried to do, and I started this when I was newly married, and thank the Lord, it's something that's just sort of stayed with me. But I, I really struggled when I first got married with really having a good time for devotions. And I have four children, and so it seemed like when the kids came especially, I had such a hard time. Like, when am I going to put, where am I going to put this? I couldn't find time. And I've heard a lot of people say things like, you know, you've got to get up early in the morning and you have to spend this much amount of time. Well, I couldn't do it. I couldn't manage the time. I just couldn't. And so I got to the point where I was like, okay, Lord, I have to figure this out. So I went to a ladies' retreat, and the speaker that was there gave us a book, and, they, and the speaker very kindly relieved me of a lot of guilt, which is sad that it, it took me, somebody telling me, just spend 15 minutes. I thought, okay, I can do that. And they gave me a, a notebook, and I wrote in that notebook every day. And when I wouldn't have devotions because something would happen and my little 15 minutes didn't get done, I'd look in the book and I'd be sad. So I'd be like, oh, no, I missed it. I missed the 15 minutes. And I began to develop this longing to make sure not only that I had spent 15 minutes, but that I had been with the Lord. So later, I was talking to my husband about that. And he said, well, honey, do you realize that what really was going on there is what God cared about was that you wanted to be with him. It was 15 minutes. Now, he was with me all day long, but it was just 15 minutes of just intent. So I, I was like, oh, you mean d- devotions is not just something you have to do because somebody told you to? No, it's a chance to be with God for a little while. Talk to him. Fellowship with him. Get to know what he says in the word. And I'd been making it a chore. And I began to realize that if I would just relax and spend my time as I needed to, there were things that were coming in my life, and there were children, and there was this, and there was that. But I really wanted to be with the Lord. And, you know, as I've grown older and my kids are all gone now, guess what? I can spend an hour now before I head to school. Some of you can't. You're going to get 15 minutes, and you're just so thankful. Because you're going to walk with the Lord all day. But don't, don't say this is a chore. This is a joy. To get to, to know him. And you'll long for more time after you, you start developing the habit in your life of doing it. So plan your time. Think about it. The other thing I think this is helping us with is um, to plan ahead without getting so caught up in our plans um, that we can't let things happen that are going to happen sometimes. All right. So because there are interruptions in life. So just for instance. If I know it's going to rain tomorrow, what should I take with me in the morning when I go out the door? My umbrella, right? But it may not rain that day, and so I won't need it. But I've planned ahead. I've thought through my day, and I have something that will help me if it rains. Now, sometimes things, you don't have it. You know, you're going to get out there, and you you left your umbrella, whatever. So it's not saying not to... To, I don't want you to get so, or think about being so planned that you can't, um, you know, that you can't handle the interruptions. 
but you should spend your time in such a way that it honors the Lord. I think that, that all of those things are going on there. The next word he has is the word right. And this is pronounced dikaios, which is the Greek word here. And it means to be upright, just, fair, to not be prejudiced. And, of course, what all of us say is that's not fair. Now, I really went through um, this and thought a lot about kids. You know, you've been out, you've all been there, kids running around, and you hear somebody hollering, that's just not fair. Well, what does not fair mean? It means I want things to happen my way. And Paul says here, we should be thinking on the right way. So here are the things I think we can focus on. God's in control, and he decides what's fair and just. Some of you have things that I don't have. And so I believe Paul wants me to rejoice in what the Lord has given you and not decide that it's not fair. And to know that he will take care of me. So Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. If you look at that verse again, don't you love what it says? To the purpose of him who works how many things? All things. All things according to the counsel of his will. All things. It gives me so much comfort. All things. You mean, Lord, I don't know where you ladies are, but maybe you have a health crisis. And so your neighbor doesn't have the health crisis. That gal comes into church every Sunday and you see her. She doesn't know how much pain you're in. But you're in it. You're in a lot of it because your health is poor. But this verse says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God is in control and he decides. Because maybe you, you look at that person and you think, that's just not fair. I'm sick. They're not. And that hurts. But God says, I do all things according to the counsel of my will. And he finishes the verse that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. There's something about your sickness that God needs you to, be, to have so that you might steward it to his praise. There are some of you here who have rebellious children. God gave that to you. Some of you are sitting there thinking, you know, I wish he would have given me something else. We don't get to choose, and that's because we're not God. And that's one of the very first things we have to recognize as believers, is who God is in my life, and that he's the one that I acknowledge is in control of what's happening in my life. And so he decides what's fair and what's just. The other thing that might come into this word is doing the right thing. So if we're doing the right thing, we're doing the God-approved thing, and by that I mean What's in the scripture? And so um, the whole world does a lot of things that are not the God-approved and right thing. And they're involved in all kinds of things, that, from sin to, to frivolousness to um, trying to tear others down. You, can, you name it. It's out there. And you, you've, we've all experienced it because we're all sinners. 
All right, but so we want to be careful to do the right thing. So we should be thinking about the right thing to do that. And then we want to replace worry with the knowledge of the right thing. And then just do it. Be faithful to do it. Once you read it and you're convinced of it in the scripture, then you have an obligation to do that before the Lord. So those are the things I think Paul's asking us to focus on by using that word for noble. All right, pure. Pure is the next one. And this one is the word hagnos. And it means undefiled. This is actually the word that we get out of it, holiness. And the opposite of this is the gimme, gimme, gimme thing, you know. I want that. The lust or selfishness is the opposite uh, thought here. Right? And the things that we need to focus on, do I need to slow down? Just raise, I always tell the kids in class, just raise your hand if I'm going too fast. And I'll stop or back up. All right, so here's what we want to meditate on. Then. We want to meditate on God and be satisfied in him. Now, I told you that, that I'm talking you t- to you today about these things because these are things I struggle with. And this one especially was hard for me because when I first got married to my husband, um, he was in graduate school right after we got married. And the first place that we lived as a, um, newlyweds was a little apartment that was um, on the campus of Clemson University in Clemson, South Carolina, and they were called um, efficiency apartments. They were efficient, okay. They, <laughs> they were literally um, a room that was, okay, the platform was probably the, the living room and the kitchen area. And then there was a bathroom, and then there was a little bedroom. That, so they were efficient. There was not much else. And we were at a secular university. My husband had gone there to do some graduate work because his, his, he graduated in math. And so he went to do graduate work in math at Clemson University. So uh, I went with him, married to him, and we were poor. And so I was like, okay, uh, we have to find an apartment. And that ended up being my job just because of what was going on with him his senior year in college. So I drove to Clemson picked out this little efficiency apartment, and I hadn't actually ever gotten to go into it. You know, now they take you through the model. Well, the model looked really nice compared to the ones we were in. So then we got there, and we got the key, and we went in, and it was that beautiful shag orange carpet. And the back window in the apartment was broken out. And we were at a secular university, and so there were a lot of people, a lot of drinking that went on there. And so they would be sick, and they would be sick outside their door, and I would, we'd have to jump over it to get into the apartment. It was awful. There were roaches there. It was, just na- it was a nasty place. Well, I was like, okay, we have to get out of here. <laughs> so not very long after that, we were like looking around, trying to find some place. And there was a gentleman that somebody knew in the church that we started to attend there. And he offered his mobile home. Well, that was great. Um, it was pretty good size. But, um, and it's funny now living in Wisconsin, but in South Carolina, I guess I got cold in the winter, which I can't imagine that that would happen after living here. But I got cold and we were talking about, oh, now what's wrong with this trailer because we can't get any heat? And he said, well, it's not 
Um, it's not built like it needs to be at the bottom, and so the heat's just running out, and we're heating up the whole world here. And so we were like, we can't stay. It's too expensive to heat this thing up. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you for half. He was so desperate for people to stay there. But we had to leave that, so then we moved. Then my husband went back to school to do his graduate work um, at Bob Jones, so we went back to Greenville, and uh, we get there. we got to try to find a place to live. Anyway, we kind of jumped from place to place for a little while. And eventually, we find a little house that we're going to buy. And this little house was about as big as that efficiency apartment. Not quite, a little bit bigger. Uh, but we get into it, and uh, we're there for like nine years before the Lord brings us to um, Watertown. Well, and this is Donna's truth, I promise. I'm, I'm telling you things that are true. Um, we sold that house for $35,000, a house. No, it wasn't a garage, it was a house. It was just that small and back then. So um, we sold it. Well, when we sold it, we were living on campus, and we had, you know, what, there was a crack in the foundation, and we found that out later, so we had to sell the house. So we didn't really have a lot of money to invest in another home, but the Lord led us to another house, and it was also very, very small. All right, so now I'm in a house with four kids. There's two bedrooms in it, but there's a basement. So we figure, well, we'll work on the basement. We did some. The boys just grew up in the basement. They were happy. They loved the basement, so it was okay. But I struggled all during that time being satisfied with where I lived. It was hard for me. I would go visit my friends, and they're like in mansions. And I'm like, Lord, I really would like this. And I literally can remember, I've always kind of kept a prayer journal when I'd have my devotions. And I just, it helped me to pray out loud. And I would just, and I, I was just reading a book recently where the, the gentleman who was talking about prayer said, you know, you should just have a conversation with the Lord. And so I've kind of done that by writing. And so I would just write and pray and pray, Lord, could I please get a different house? Um, after a while, I got convicted about constantly complaining about where I was living. So I thought, okay, I need to really be willing to do things even though my house is small. And I remember telling the pastor's wife of our church, I said, could I have the teens over? And she said, are you sure? Because she'd been in my house and she'd been through the kitchen and knew that it was pretty tight. I said, well, I have a plan because we were right near the park. So I said, I think I'm going to take them through the, the living room into the kitchen and out the back door. And I said, I think I could do that. I could serve them something to eat, and they could take it. And she said, if you're willing, we'd love to come. So that was like the first time I really did something that was out there. And so they came and went through the house. So um, it was just a struggle for me. I just wasn't satisfied. Well, then um, a couple of years after we had been there, a new president for the college came. And this lady, um, the president's wife, said, why don't, the faculty and staff ladies come over to my home, and she's going to serve us dessert. When I stepped in the door of that house, it was a mansion. And for me, it was a mansion. It was really a modest home, but it just seemed huge. I mean, she had a, you know, a den. She had a, live, a dining room. You could actually walk around in her living room. Um, and I was, I was devastated. And I remember going home and thinking, Lord, this isn't fair, and I'm not happy. And I just kept praying it. I just said, Lord, please, please, I, we, surely I can have a better home than this one. 
And, you know, that happened for like maybe three or four years of of just going through that struggle and praying. And then one day I noticed I would go back and look at my journal. I thought, wait, you stopped praying for a house. What happened? Somehow the Lord was changing my life and it was happening because I was in the word. And I I got busy doing other things and got off of. I need this beautiful home, you know. And so years would go by. I'd go back and look at my journal and I'd be like, I, I quit. Somehow I just let it go. It just became not important. And I began to be more satisfied in having the Lord with me and being thankful for the things he had given me that I could let it go. And would you know that five years ago, Our house needed some work, and we had someone come and uh, go through the house, and they said, you know, you should sell. You really shouldn't um, try to put your money in this home because you're not going to be able to get it out. I said, nobody is ever going to buy this little house. They bought it in a month, and I live in a big house now. I live in a house with four bedrooms and three bathrooms, so if you ever come to Watertown, I will put you up because I, I don't have any kids at home. I don't know why the Lord did what he did, but my husband still, we still, five years later, go out the door and say, do we live here? Uh, it, it's, it's just what the Lord needed to teach me something. I couldn't have had that house a long time ago. I wasn't ready for it. The Lord had to change my heart. And now it just seems like, wow, Lord, it's amazing. The next thing it says here is memorize scripture and follow its admonition. So, When we do that and follow its admonition, I think the Lord works that satisfaction in our life. Um, I've just learned of a new method for learning scripture. Do you all do some scripture memory together as a church or anything like that? You guys have like ladies meetings or anything? Well, this, this was really revolutionary to me. I just learned it. I want to get over to my page so I can show you. So you might want to try it. Um, So, We'll do it just with a simple verse, okay? So Psalm 143, and I'm just going to do the last part of the verse, says, I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. All right, so if you've got a piece of paper, you can try this, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some letters, right? So the first letter is the letter I, and then M, and then O, U, Y, and W. All right, and then another row. I, M, O, T, W, O, Y, H. All right, now, the verse says, I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. Now look at those letters. Can you say it? Try it. I. All your works, right? And I muse. Yeah. It works. If you just put the first letter down, you can often get through. And I, what I did is I took um, like one of those little mini notebook type things and I just went through, as I was reading my devotions, I'd come across a verse and say, oh, Lord, that's really good. I, I need to memorize that. So I put it in that little book. 
And then I just open the book up and it has the passage and then has just all, all these letters. And I'm able to remember the words by just looking at the first letter. So that just might be something, something somebody showed me. I was like, that's really great. And so I, w- I was, thought it might be a help to you. So Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. All right? So we learn, we learn to be satisfied in God and what he's done for us. We learn his scripture. That changes our lives. And then we move away from temptation. And those are the things that help us develop pure, purity in our life and in our thinking. Right? And I, once again, I, I don't know any of you, but um, I do know that there are ladies that struggle with pornography. Right? Paul says purity is what we want to be thinking about. I want to move away from that temptation. You know, you need to do this for yourself. Put up for yourself barriers to things that are going to cause you not to be um, thinking in a pure way. Our next word is lovely. Now, a lot of people think that this word means um, beautiful things is what Paul's saying here for us to think on beautiful things. But actually, prosphile is the word and it means towards love. So this actually means being a loving person, right? So when we're a loving person, we're not a hating person, and we're also not a person who doesn't care about others, right? That's, that's what Paul's telling us to think about here. So here are some. These actually belong to my husband because they came out of a sermon that he has on 1 Corinthians, but they just fit so well here. I asked him if I could borrow them, and he was willing to share them with me. Um, but if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it says there that love does not behave rudely, doesn't seek to um, its own, and is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. So here is just a little explanation of those things from 1 Corinthians 13. So we focus on these things. You don't go around keeping a tally of affronts. By that I mean you don't get, you know, your list in your mind. Yeah, well, she did that last time. Check. Oh, here she is again. She's done it again. Another check. No, love doesn't do that. It doesn't keep a record of those kinds of things. It lets those things go. Also, it says here not to be sensitive or touchy. I don't know. I think the Lord created women to have a need of of being sensitive towards because God gave us children and we're sort of the primary caregivers there. And so it's easy for us to be sensitive to things, but we can let that get out of control to the point where no one can talk to us because we're afraid somebody's going to hurt us. And Paul says here, no, think about lovely things, being loving. So don't be too sensitive or touchy. Expect the best, even though you've been disappointed before. That person has failed you, but you expect the next time that you encounter them, that they'll be better. You're always looking for them to get better. You know, as a teacher, I have to think about that with my students. You know, yes, they didn't do so well on that last quiz, but they're going to get it this time, and they're going to do better. Right? Because I'm constantly wanting to move them on to the next thing. and we, we need to do that with brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Expect the best, even though they may have disappointed us before. Don't dwell on others' failures. That goes hand in hand with that. And then we can forgive someone 
And that turns the past failures into a foundation for a stronger relationship. You know, when someone has done something to you and you hand forgiveness to them, it can strengthen their ability to walk with the Lord. Because what you're doing there is modeling what's Christ done for all of us. We're all sinners. We all need forgiveness. And when we don't, if we're loving toward them, we're modeling him to them. And that very well may help them in their Christian life and their growth. So these are the things that I think Paul wants us to dwell on in our minds. The next one is to be of a good report or admirable. Euphema is the word. All right. You means good and FEMA means news or report. So Paul just put them together here. And we have the opposite, which is fault finding and pride. So we just talked about looking for the good in others and being loving. Another thing we can do is pray for others and the well-being of others. And I'm sure you've probably heard this said. If you stop and take time to pray with somebody, you'll learn to love them a little more. Because you're going to hear their burdens. You're going to be taking their burdens to the Lord. And so we can pray for others. And not only just for people, um, but for their well-being, for their spiritual growth. Praying for one another to grow in the Lord. To be able to have victory in things that are happening in their lives. Um, So we're looking for the good, but we're also trying to pray that the Lord will develop in them the good that he wants in them. All right. And we need to be humble enough to say, you know, Lord, I could be dealing with those same things there. But for the grace of God, go I. And so we're we're humble in it as we work with them. So we we can imbalance those things. Um, And so Paul says, look for those good and the others and pray for them um, as we go along. And some of these are going to be repeats because he, he can really pause it on here. So the next one is excellent. Arete is the word here. And this is moral excellence as well as virtue here. So Proverbs 31.12, this is where you're going to see this. Who can find a virtuous woman for her worth is far above rubies? So we all need to take an honest evaluation of ourselves. What is it in your life that you think about that you'd like to get rid of? I mean, like the habit maybe that you do or the things that you know aren't pleasing to the Lord. We sh- you, have, you need an honest evaluation of that. Um, I find for myself, a lot of times what happens is I tend, if something sad or hard comes in my life, my joy runs away. And I can't seem to get... And I don't mean be happy about it because happiness is a different thing. Satisfied in Christ to the point where I can say, Lord, I can rejoice even though this was very hard or very painful or I I didn't think life was going to go this direction, Lord. I didn't want that. You know, I want to give me some other trial. I don't want this one. You know, for me, I have to honestly say that's where I struggle it's like I just need the joy and sometimes I think joy for me joy and peace go together which is our goal 
that we saw, that's where Paul heads. By the time he gets to verse 9, he's telling us the peace of God will be with us if we think like this. So we need to evaluate ourselves and be honest with ourselves. Yes, this is something that I need to evaluate and I need to develop a virtuous life because I'm looking at these things and I'm moving away from self-pity and and I'm saying, Lord, here, this is what I need and I need you to change me. So we can do that in a couple of ways. We can focus on the good I have from God. So that means, and the next one dovetails with this, but that we look around and we see the things that he's already blessed us with. And that's the struggle I had in every house I went into. I could have lived on the street. But what was I worried about? I needed the bigger house. God had provided a covering over my head. And I'm married to one of the most terrific men on the planet. I, I was still needing something else. I wasn't satisfied. And it, I wasn't focusing on the beautiful children the Lord had given me. And some of you are, are saying, yeah, well, I don't have those children. Or um, I have um, a nice house, but there's trouble between my husband and I. Okay, evaluate what is good. Think on those good things. See the Father's hand in them. And then evaluate yourself. Get the scripture. Am I doing what I should be doing? And then make the best a priority. Do what's right. And then remember, God is in control. And you know what, ladies? Get help if you need help. Find somebody and say, I'm struggling. Listen, we are all struggling. I am not up here because I got this licked. I don't. And I'm sure you don't either. Because until we step into heaven and we're completely glorified and completely changed, we're going to struggle. These are things that are going to be difficult for us. So Paul says, look, get your mind in shape. Think about these things and they'll help you. And so we all need to get rid of self-pity and evaluate and move ourselves out of that and say, here, Lord, I'm, I'm ready now. I want to change and I want to do better in these areas. And when we do that, we can praise the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. Fill your life with gratitude. Gratitude has, goes a long ways towards changing you. You know, sometimes when my students come into class, I like to say, now gratitude is a great way to live. So every day I want you to go out and say, thank you for being my teacher. And we laugh. And they don't. But um, gratitude and thankfulness for what the Lord's given you at the moment um, I've, I've talked to some ladies who've walked through some really difficult things. And one lady not too long ago, and she's in a, a really difficult place, and she said something to me. She said, you know, I wouldn't trade this, even though it, it very well may end in taking her life. But she said, you know what? This is where I have met God more than any other time in my life. And so I just... I was blown away by it. I just said to her, I said, I am so glad to hear that the Lord has done that work in you. And I know that he does that. We don't drum that up. He works on us. And he does that through the scripture. And if our hearts are being grateful and thankful, 
So I have a couple of verses here. Psalm 33, 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. And we all want to give the Lord the beauty of our lives. 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We develop gratitude and thankfulness. The Lord is praiseworthy. And then Paul says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. And I think it's interesting, but Paul says, I do these things. This is, I've trained my mind to think this way because this is what God wants of me. And he said, if you do those, the God of peace will be with you. And that's where he's headed when he starts that verse and says, think on these things. Because if you do, they're going to change your life. Because they're all wrapped up in what the scripture is teaching us. So here's just a, a quick little thing if you're struggling. So you confess it first. Lord, I know I've been struggling with joy in my situation. I'm using me because I, that's where I am. All right. Lord, forgive me and please help me work on that. Point those verses out to me. Show me the things I need to change. Replace the sinful thoughts with the scripture and thinking about God. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't let me give up. Help me to keep going. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Right? He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So these are just a few things that the Lord has been teaching me. I think I've, I'm not sure what time we were supposed to be done. Was it 11? And it's almost that time. But I did want to just take just a minute to say, does anybody have any questions or anything that you want to ask me about what we've talked about? And hopefully you'll go out and study this passage even more because there's so much more here. And I'm not a preacher. I'm just a teacher lady. Uh Yes, ma'am. I, I would be happy to do that. I don't have it, but I would be happy to do it. Right, it's right. It's the Greek word because this would be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure, absolutely. In fact, that first page of the slide, I'm happy to. I will put it together and I'll send it to the pastor, and then you can have it. Sure, absolutely. Anybody else? Uh, yes, ma'am. My own, oh, my devotions. Oh, that's so kind of you to ask. It's it's expanded, <laughs> um, but what it was was he had. Um, it actually. How many of you have been to the wilds in in North Carolina? Long ways away. But um, the gentleman that's there designed these little booklets. Um, and boy, his name is skipping me. Anyway, he designed these booklets that look like he just took. A passage of scripture, he put the passage at the top, and then you had to put the date in, and then you would read the passage, and then you wrote what you thought. That was the 15 minutes. I, I want to say to all of you, I want to encourage you in this, if you, especially those of you that are young mothers, every baby's got to eat, right? So put your Bible where you've got to feed the baby. 
so that you can just pick it up. And the baby is going to take maybe 10 minutes, but you could have a couple of verses read. There are devotional books that you can get to read alongside the Bible. Right now in my devotions, I'm reading two books. One of them is um, Charles Spurgeon's Treasury of David. But somebody very kindly has taken his huge, massive work and distilled it down to a daily reading. So you can, and then they um, have gone through and taken the passage of Scripture in Psalms and they've attached it to the passage where, which is like in Samuel or one of those um, Old Testament passages where he would have been when he wrote that. On Moses, oh, there's several psalms from Moses as well, and where Moses was when he would have probably written those psalms. Those are tr- that is a tremendous resource, and I am loving it. My husband read it first, and he said, I think you'll really enjoy this. And it's been so wonderful because I have read about some, you know, David had, uh, 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 yeah, I'm sorry, I'm stuttering here, Absalom, who, you know, he didn't like what his dad did, and he, his sister was wronged, and he wanted to avenge that wrong, and instead he decided to take matters into his own hands, and he actually wanted to, you know, destroy his dad, and eventually ends up dying, and what a pain and heartbreak that was for David. Well, there are a couple of Psalms that are written about the time that reflect possibly back to When that happened, that just makes those psalms jump off the page for me because I'm like, oh, I see where he what he was struggling with here. And that's why he wrote it. So I have that. And then I have um, I don't know if any of you have heard of David Paulison, but he's a, a counselor and he writes books as well. And somebody has taken his work and put it into a daily devotional. I'm sure your pastor and your pastor's wife can recommend things to you. But to me, the devotional books are a good guide. If you want to read through the Bible, another thing you can do is a daily plan where you read through the scripture. Ladies, if you read it in a year, that's fabulous. If you read it, read it in two years, that's fabulous. If you read it in 20 years, that's fabulous. You're reading the scripture. Let the guilt go. Just get in the, the word. Okay? You don't have to have the guilt. You know, and especially you new moms. You got a lot going on. Just put your Bible right near where you know you're going to sit down for five minutes and pick it up and read it. And don't carry that guilt around. The Lord just wants you to be with him, to spend time with him. Thank you so much. You're so attentive and I appreciate it.